Cleveland Schmooze is sponsored by the Cleveland Jewish News. Get the latest news and information from the Cleveland Jewish News delivered right to your inbox. Choose from breaking news, daily headlines, community life cycle notices, arts, events, highlights, and more with our free e-newsletters. Sign up now at cjn.org slash e-signup. Welcome to Cleveland Schmooze, a bi-weekly podcast about the people who make up Jewish Cleveland. We're your hosts. I'm Rachel Rude. And I'm Robin Rude. This week, we are talking to Dr. Michael Robovsky, a family physician with the Cleveland Clinic. He tells us about how he came to become a doctor and shares his thoughts on the pandemic. We taped this conversation with Dr. Michael Robovsky, six feet apart at B'nai Shuren Congregation in Pepper Pike. And just to note that this is our last episode of season three before our summer break, but we'll be back in the fall with more episodes. In the meantime, check out our archive by going to clevelandschmooze.com. And if you have an interview suggestion, email us at clevelandschmooze at gmail.com. That's spelled S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. Thanks. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Bobsky. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we start every podcast by asking our guests to just tell us a little bit about their Jewish upbringing. So what was it like for you? Uh, well, I grew up in Baltimore. Baltimore is a lot like Cleveland in terms of the Jewish community. Very strong mm-hmm. Jewish community that tends to be concentrated in one area of the city. Mm-hmm. Judaism was important um, from as long as I can remember. Like other folks, you know, we went to Hebrew school. Um, I continued after Bar Mitzvah to what was called Baltimore Hebrew College, which would be similar to like Siegel a, College here. Gotcha. Um, and um, was just part of our family life. Did you grow up Reform, conservative? Um, actually, we grew up in an Orthodox show. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I think it was a time when those denominations weren't as important when you talk to other people. Ah. Um, it was um, initially we lived in Baltimore City near mm-hmm. Pimlico Racetrack, which is part of the Preakness if, mm-hmm. for racehorse fans. Oh, cool. Um, and it was a small Orthodox shul that um, we went to. Um, and then we moved out into the county as the Jewish community moved out into the county mm-hmm. and also was in a more of a more modern Orthodox shul. So you guys kept Shabbos, you did all the, did you keep kosher? We, we kept kosher, mm-hmm. and, um, and that was very important. I went to shul on Shabbos, but I wouldn't say we were Shammar Shabbos. Got it. <laughs> so my father had to work on, on right. some Saturdays. Right. Back um, in the day, it was traditional. Yeah, I mean, it was an Orthodox shul where people drove to shul and parked mm. on the street oh. because the parking lot was closed. <laughs> okay. But still you know, had all of the Orthodox traditions. Did you remember enjoying being Jewish when you were younger and keeping the traditions, keeping the holidays? Like, was it something where you were, you know, jealous that you couldn't have a cheeseburger <clears throat> growing up? I actually never felt that way, no. Yeah? Yeah, no, the holidays were important. Uh-huh. Um, Friday night, we always had, you know, Shabbos was always the best dinner of the week and oh, everybody yeah? was home and that was just expected that we'd be there. We saw family a lot, you know, after dinner on, on Shabbos. Holidays were always important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think I ever missed a holiday, even in college. I went to um, college in Philadelphia, University of Pennsylvania, which is only about a two-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And I think looking back, I was home for every holiday because that was great. important and family was around. I remember our Passover 
my grandfather and my uncle did the entire Seder in Hebrew. There wasn't a minute of English at all. Was that similar in your family? Pretty similar. Yeah. Pretty similar initially. As, as um, you know, my sister and I and, you know, got, and my brother got a little older, we tried to introduce a little English. I remember once my uncle saying, what are you doing? Come on, let's just get ready. <laughs> let's just let's get so done with this, you know. Fifteen minutes we're having, you know, we're having matzo. It was very quick. Did you really enjoy Jewish food growing up? Oh yeah. Like, no. what was one of your favorite dishes? That was all we had. Right. <laughs> was Jew was Jewish food? Oh well, I, probably the pastries. You know, okay. uh, the apple strudel, the cakes right. my mother used to bake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ruglach yeah. and mandel bread. That's sure. great. Would you consider yourself Orthodox today? Um, no. I, you know, again, I think, I don't know what, sort of how this happened, but I, I mentioned this to my wife and others. That, that label of being Orthodox or conservative mm -hmm. didn't seem to be as important growing up. No mm -hmm. one really seemed to care. Um, I think as a community, we seem to be a little bit more stratified in, you know, with those labels, which I don't think is necessarily good for mm -hmm. the Jewish community as a whole. Right. Um, I would say we're, we're traditional. Mm -hmm. uh, we keep kosher at home. Yeah. Um, we'll go out to restaurants. But, mm -hmm. um, I ask I have my own rules. Well, I'll go out to restaurants, but typically I eat fish. I don't eat right. Right. You know, pork products or shellfish. You know, when we were growing up, our kids wanted to know why they couldn't go out with friends on Friday night, and we mm -hmm. said you had to have dinner with us first. Mm -hmm. um, so we always had that kind of tradition. Um, most Shabbat, I come to the temple in the morning. Um, That's great. And where do you belong can, here? Yeah, we come to here. B'nai Sharon. Wonderful. Yeah. I moved to Cleveland and got married. My wife's father was the president of the, had been the president of the synagogue. Right. We and interviewed him and Michael. Michael and my brother-in-law was present yeah, as well. Right. For the documentary that we made. Right. All right. 2010 or so. So I remember like he, he looked at me and he goes, you can join any temple you want in the city, but you have to join B'nai Jashur. <laughs> so, Give you a choice. That's great. Yeah, I was going to pay temple dues for two. So. <laughs> so I'm curious if there's any doctors in your family. Um, no. So... What made you interested in becoming a doctor? You know, I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, you know, kind of one of those things, you know, you always hear, you know, we always heard, oh, you know, study hard and think, you could be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be really? a professional. <laughs> um, I always thought about wanting to do that. I always thought it would be something that I liked. Um, when I went to college, I wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do but I made sure I had all of my science courses and things. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job working as a nursing assistant in a hospital in Philadelphia, Thomas Jefferson. Oh, nice. um, and I really liked it. Mm -hmm. And I really got an appreciation for what I would say, for not only what doctors do, but the nurses and how hard they worked and how much responsibility they have. And I thought, yeah, I can do this. And specifically family medicine, because it's not you know, the fanciest of specialties. Um, my dad, obviously, you know, Dr. Marker. Mm -hmm. so, so we know that, that it's not always someone's first choice as a specialty. Um, why did you want to become a family doctor? Well, I think, I think going into med school, 
that was just what I thought a doctor was. I mm -hmm. guess that was my exposure to what mm -hmm. doctors were. And I just thought that that would really be what I had always thought about when I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, it was the Marcus Welby syndrome. If you, right. Marcus Welby was a Did you enjoy the whole TV doctor. Right. Did you enjoy the whole cradle to grave? You treat a family, every member from... Yeah. Like that concept? Yeah. Right. So when, I, when it came to sort of choosing a specialty, I knew I wanted to do primary care. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the idea of being able to do the full spectrum. Right. Seeing that's infants, great. seeing adults, doing geriatrics. That's and wonderful. And so that's why I chose family medicine. <laughs> How did you get connected with the clinic then from the different places you went to school? Well, um, I went to medical school, University of Maryland, mm -hmm. and I came here for case for residency. Mm. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. <laughs> um, it had, you know, when I looked around at different residencies around the country, it had what I was really looking for. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought I would be here for three years and be gone. Um, I, I remember I was my parents had moved to Florida and I was on winter break. I came in from the pool visiting my parents and my father was watching one of the football games and I said, who's on? He goes, oh, it's Oakland and the Browns. And then the announcement <laughs> was a famous playoff game where Brian Sipe threw an interception oh, and sure, the Browns I lost. Oh, sure, I remember that. <laughs> um, and then the announcers are saying it's like minus 30 degrees with the wind chill or something ridiculous <laughs> right. like that. And I really thought, what have I done? <laughs> I'm sure your father looked at you and said, huh? So, yeah. Um, so I came here. Um, I had a great experience in residency. I met my wife, Lori. I think I remember meeting back. you a long time ago. You were on, I don't know how many years ahead of Mark you were, but I think you were on your way, you were res, graduating residency, and he was just starting. Yeah. Well, I remember um, when I left my residency, I spent three years in Connecticut as a junior faculty member at, you know, in their residency program. Um, Lori and I came back to Cleveland, and I used to go and precept the residents down. Oh, well, maybe and Mark was, a, Mark was <laughs> a resident then. Right. Yeah. That's funny. When you subscribe to the Cleveland Jewish News, you receive 52 issues of the award-winning CJN and 15 total magazines, including J-Style, Canvas, and Balanced Family. Try the Cleveland Jewish News for free. Start your six-week free trial at cjn.org slash six free. So I want to talk about kind of the elephant in the room, which is the coronavirus pandemic and just how that's completely changed everything about our lives. Um, the fact that we're sitting six feet apart for mm -hmm. this interview. Um, we all wore masks before yes, we sat we down, just so everyone knows. <laughs> um, but... Just in terms of being on the front lines of the pandemic as a family doctor and at a major hospital in this area, can you just talk a little bit about your perspective in the last like couple months of just how this has changed everything? Well, it certainly has changed everything. I think not only in medicine, but I think you're going to see in business and as well with everybody working at home. Mm -hmm. You know, the, you know, the first thing that you think about is the fear and that people had and the risk of working with patients with this unknown virus mm. and how infective it is and what is that going to mean. Um, and that's scary. And, um, and then, you know, was, we were quick to realize that in a lot of places around the country, people weren't prepared. They weren't prepared with the proper protective equipment, PPE. 
Um, and so, you know, it was kind of daunting as, you know, what do you do and, and how, how do we, you know, approach this? Um, I was amazed, um, actually I'd say more proud than amazed about how the doctors that I work with in the Cleveland Clinic mm -hmm. all stepped up. That mm -hmm. yeah. I still remember was that, that first weekend in March when it really broke out yeah. and people were calling our nurses and we called nurse on call and um, doing some of our doctors, as Mark does, was doing virtual visits. Mm -hmm. And they were overwhelmed. I mean, it was like a two, three hour wait. Right. And with a couple pages, uh, 200 people volunteered to get trained and start working that, you know, on a Saturday and Sunday and start wow. working. Right. And a lot of the doctors have said, yes, I'll step up and I'll go to the hospital if you need me. But it really, you really started to think about, you know, what being in healthcare means and the, you know, the risk that all the healthcare workers, not only the healthcare workers, but the first responders um, are willing to accept in order to do their job. Right. And so, yeah. um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of room for pride when you see how everybody really responded to this. Right. Um, I, I'm very, very proud of the way the Cleveland Clinic responded. I think that <clears throat> the leadership very quickly um, saw the issue. They saw it a little bit before, um, and they really responded. And we went from, you know, seeing patients, um, and we, we had been encouraging our doctors to do virtual visits because we think that's part of the future of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and it was slow to, you know, take on. And then all right. of a sudden, almost like flipping a switch, right. you know, in a week's time, we went from seeing patients face-to-face right. -to, -face to everybody doing virtual right. visits. I know. And I remember Mark went in just on a Sunday <clears throat> night. He's like, I think I better go in. I'm like, okay. He turned on the thing, and like 75 people were in line. He's like, I cannot do this by myself. And so everybody yeah. jumped in and helped. And I think um, it and, really... And, and, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, what you were talking about, telehealth being the future of medicine, I feel like people really are seeing that through now. Like, we, we are still able to see doctors, and you are still able to manage your diabetes, you know, and, and other health conditions through telehealth. You don't always have to go in. Maybe it's even made things easier for people who are afraid to go out um, to, to be able to use telehealth. I, I wonder... You know, if you've if you've gotten any feedback from people on the user end about it, um, I, by and large, I think it's been pretty positive. Mm -hmm. um, some people still want to come in; they want that touch, and I think that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but there's been some great examples. I um, a few days ago, I got a call from a patient living in an assisted living. Um, his toes were blue, and the nursing mm -hmm. staff was upset. And, yeah. You know, and I called, and the nurse walked in, and I said, you have a smartphone, and she did, and I called, and I was able to do the exam right. without him having to get out of bed, and right. well, he was in bed and sitting in a chair, yeah. without him having leaving. And, and if he had left this particular assisted living, yeah. he, he wouldn't be able to come back for two weeks right. because oh, they were quarantining yeah. everybody. Yeah. But when you think about that, there's been a couple cases like that. Um, I've had um, um, a lot of my elderly patients um, they, they love it because they're not leaving their home. Mm -hmm. right. And it's interesting, too, you get a little glimpse into their home and, oh, you know, right. the living space and things, which I think also is kind of eye-opening. Right. You know, when, when we were residents, we always did home visits, and we right. always, when we were teachers, we always told our students to go do home visits. Right. And then you stop. 
Right. And um, you get a you get a different perspective when you see people's living situations. I tell the kids it's the 60s all over again. We're just back to the we're eating that way. We're practicing medicine that way. It's just you know. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, Marcus Welby. Right. <laughs> Getting back to your Marcus Welby. What show was that? Marcus Welby. <laughs> was it? Was that the name of the oh, show? Now you're, trying, was, now you're was, trying to make me feel old. It Come was on. the Grey's Anatomy of. <laughs> it was an ER. It was a, right? a, uh, no, no. a TV show. Uh, was it Robert Young? I think yeah. was the star. Okay, so the um, show was called Marcus Welby. Called he Marcus was Welby. the name of the okay. doctor, okay. and right. he was the local have, family doctor. Yeah. We have a lot of generational. <laughs> uh, things he had a great job. He, he saw one patient a week. Wow. <laughs> when we talk about how this has changed our <clears throat> lives, it's not like it's changed our lives and then we're going to go back to how it was. Can you talk a little bit about what you see as the future in the next year or however many years before there's some sort of vaccine? Yeah. No, I think it's really unknown. I became a, a Mike DeWine fan yeah, um, right. overnight because I DeWine? was really <laughs> happy about some of the decisive decisions he made. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we use all kinds of predictive models. And one mm -hmm. of the predictive models we were using about how many patients we would have was that at the Cleveland Clinic hospitals alone, we would have up to 5,000 patients in the hospital a day, wow. which is huge. I mean, mm -hmm. we have normally maybe we have 500 in terms of our Cleveland Clinic service and people seeing them, so more throughout. But just for comparison's sake, 500 to 5,000. You know, I looked, um, I think, yesterday, and um, in Ohio total so far, there's only been about 4,500 hospitalizations or something like that. So, mm -hmm. so um, think about how all these things that kind of flatten that curve, mm -hmm. and we really did flatten that curve. Right. Um, you know, we were expecting as many as 5,000, then it was 3,000, then it was, you know, maybe we could see that the curve was getting lower and lower. Right. And at least in our own system, um, you know, we've only had about 130 to 140 patients with coronavirus for probably the last three or four weeks. So yeah. it's really been stable. Um, now, when you think about that only, I mean, it's still right. really significant, mm -hmm. but compared to what it could have been. My concern right now is, and I think this was voiced by several doctors on the news in the last few days, mm -hmm. is that we're reopening things too soon. Mm -hmm. Right. And That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. The, we think that, you know, when, when the schools were closed, that had an impact in keeping um, the spread of coronavirus down. But even bigger than that was when the restaurants and bars were closed. We think that had an even bigger impact in closing mm -hmm. the schools. Mm -hmm. And... We're, a lot of us are very concerned about what's going to happen because they're opening up what next week, I think. Yeah. You know, what, what's the impact of that going to be two weeks later, right. sometime in June? Does the clinic or any of the other healthcare uh, company, uh, you know, System. hospital systems, uh, are they offering advice to the school systems or the state about how to do that? Well, I think. The clinic and the other hospitals are working very closely with the health departments. Oh, okay. And then I think the health departments are giving guidelines. You know, kind of giving that type, yeah. of, that okay. type of advice. You know, I think things will be better than they were from the standpoint that hopefully people will be wearing, well, I don't have my mask. We'll be wearing <laughs> their, <laughs> I took it off for the video. Right. Um, 
will be, you know, wearing their cloth masks. And I think people will be separated. Mm -hmm. And I think people have learned to wash their hands and to right. wash their hands for 20 seconds and not to touch a lot of counters and mm -hmm. not to, you know. So I think people are learning that. How much of that will really occur right. is hard to say. But I think we're going to have to do that for, you know, for the foreseeable future, you know, certainly into, you know, 2021. Um, hmm. There's, you know, some hopes of, you know, a vaccine by the end of the year, which it would be remarkable and how quickly something like that could as we develop, because usually that process takes much longer. But I think we just have to realize that, you know, to be reasonable, travel is going to be limited and some of the things we're used to. Right. We what about the testing aspect? That was in the news. There's not enough, and people, you know, <coughs> friends have said, when are we going to get a test? Do you have any clues? No? Um, you're right. We haven't had enough testing, and, and kind of baffles many of us why this country couldn't be prepared to have the testing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the clinic, um, we've started testing we started opening up for um, same-day surgeries. Mm -hmm. And so we've opened three new testing sites mm -hmm. for people before they get surgery to be tested so we know. Oh, okay. um, they've been working out pretty well. Um, I think what we'll find over the next couple of weeks is that we'll start ramping up the testing sites and start introducing to other people right now. Um, and we think the capacity could be, you know, as many as 3,200 tests a day wow. in, a, in a week's time. I mean, that's what we're kind of working at. And all the other hospital systems right. are doing the same thing. But Am right now... Am I going now, to my the, doctor's office for a test? Am I going to a drugstore for a test? Where am I, how, how is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> or how do they think it might happen? Well, so right now, most, most of the systems are limiting the test to the people who have the highest risk of a poor outcome the elderly, people who have, you know, chronic medical conditions, mm -hmm. you know, everyone I think has heard those. Um, and then healthcare workers, if they're sick, so they're not spreading it, mm -hmm. and you're bringing in preoperative patients, I think they're going to have it as well. Um, we are seeing some more sites. Um, some of the pharmacy chains are starting to look at it and have yeah. plans to open up drive-through testing as well. Oh. Again, from what I understand, it'll still be criteria, you know, that they want to get the the higher risk patients. Right. Um, the problem with us doing it in the in our offices is the PPE, the protective equipment. Oh. So, COVID nineteen, the coronavirus spreads by aeros it's aerosolized. Mm -hmm. um, now, it can get on a counter, and then someone touches the counter and touches their mouth or their mm -hmm. eyes, and you can spread. Right. But it's really spread by aer mm -hmm. it's aerosolized. Um, if you're doing, sticking a swab up someone's nose or, you know, in the throat and things, right. people cough, they move, that's going to aerosolize droplets if they're positive. Oh. So it puts the healthcare workers at risk. Mm -hmm. sure. So in the places where we're doing it, the healthcare providers who are doing the testing are wearing the N95 masks, right. gloves, gowns, mm -hmm. eye shields, et cetera. And we have a shortage of that. Uh, we want to protect the N95 masks. We're not using them, right. at least in our system, in the ambulatory setting because uh -huh. we want to save those for um, the inpatient setting. Again, preparing for a potential <coughs> surge of new patients. And 
even though we flatten the curve, we're worried that that's going to come. Right. So part of the reason we're not doing it in the doctor's offices and things is to protect the healthcare workers. We've changed our approach even for strep cultures oh, because right. the same thing could happen. You're doing a strep culture and someone coughs, right. you have to have full protection. Oh. So it's kind of changing the way we're approaching some okay. of those things. I wanted to ask you um, to sort of relate growing up Jewish and this moment in time when there's the Jewish value to kunalam to save a life. And I just wonder if that is resonating with you a lot during this time. Well, you know, I, th I think growing up Jewish, you know, the idea of helping others and the idea of doing those things is prime with what we, what we do. You know, there was a time like in high school and college where I was just reading everything I could about the Holocaust and the Shoah and why did this happen and how could people treat other people that way? And, I, you know, I think that's part of one of the reasons going into healthcare. It's like, you know, helping other people, mm -hmm. but also um, standing up for other people. I mean, how can we not take care of this person? How can we leave people at the border? How can we not let these immigrants who are running from other places and, you know, it's sort of treating that. So I think that's kind of ingrained now mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, how we think and, and what we do. And, um, you know, worry about my, I mean, honestly, I'm worried about my own health, right. you know, and seeing patients. And one of my sons is a family doctor and he's working with COVID patients. And I worry, you know, you worry about that. But at the same time, you go to work and it's just natural that you're going to do what you need to do to take care of people. And it just becomes ingrained, I think, in what we do. Well, I really want to thank you for going to work every day and helping others and you know, I know the clinic is doing great work, especially during this time. So um, just thanks to you and all the healthcare workers who are doing their part during this pandemic. And thank you for speaking with us. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks really for having appreciate me. It. <laughs> and, it's always uh, good to schmooze. It's always good to schmooze. <laughs> thanks for listening to Cleveland Schmooze, a podcast produced by Rachel and Robin Rood. Tune in every other Friday to get the latest episode in your podcast feed. You can also find an archive of our episodes at our website, clevelandschmooze.com. And feel free to share any comments or suggestions to our email, clevelandschmooze at gmail.com. That's schmooze spelled C-A-S-C-H. <laughs> That's schmooze spelled schmooze. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye.